0: Well, let's go to the Lord one more time and and, uh, just come before His throne and ask Him to bless our time in the Word together. Bow with me, please. Father, as we think about these glorious truths that we've sang now, I pray that uh, You would open the eyes of our hearts, that You would indeed transform our minds and our thoughts and our vision to the things that are true These unseen things that we accept by faith, I pray that you would meet with us in this time and that you would help us do a work in us as we open your word, as we listen to your spirit, as we see Jesus lifted up. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21 as you find your way there I will tell you a couple of things I'll tell you it's going to be a a, a marathon of Bible passages today we've got them up on the screen uh, if you're like me I I can find things quicker in my paper Bible <laughs> than I can on my phone but uh, just be prepared for that we're going to look at several scriptures today but again we'll have a, most of them on the screen uh, while you're finding your way there, let me mention the men's and women's Bible studies tonight. We're going to change rooms. Uh, the, the, we are uh, both groups over in the Family Life Center. The, the women will be downstairs in the main uh, Fellowship Hall eating area. Men will be upstairs in the youth room. That's the second door on the right upstairs. So that's, that's where we'll be meeting. If you missed last week... Um, you missed a blessing, but don't let that stop you from coming this week, okay? So uh, it was a great blessing, and we've been challenged, and we're growing together. Appreciate John and Sharon Sager over here for leading those. If you have any questions about them um, before tonight, uh, John and Sharon, raise your hand and wave at everybody. John and Sharon Sager, they're leading those studies. So uh, appreciate, appreciate them, and appreciate it. Had a great turnout, uh, nearly, nearly 30 in both groups, and looking forward to tonight. Luke chapter 4, let's read verses 18 through 21. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And He, that's Jesus, closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Nearly ten years ago, the Christian author Jared Wilson wrote a book called Gospel Wakefulness. In that book, Wilson talks about his own uh, experience as a Christian, of coming to um, be totally in awe and enraptured by the gospel, and he says that this gospel wakefulness is the cure for. Listen to this. I'm going to quote him. He says it's the cure for quote numb, numb Christianity that began with an emotional high, but has settled into something more like cruise control a numb Christianity. He defines gospel wakefulness as something that happens in a person's life that leads to an enduring awe over what God has done for us in Christ. Gospel wakefulness, according to Wilson, is something that happens in a person's life that leads to an enduring awe over what God has done for us in Christ. Really, uh, you could say it's it's a personal rediscovery by the Christian of the amazing treasure of Jesus. And his grace that is capsulized and conveyed in the good news message. And I want to say this to you. I think the church in America as a whole, I think this church, I think I, and I think possibly many, if not most of you, need to experience a gospel awakening. Here's Wilson's short diagnostic list of how you can know if you are in need of a gospel awakening. All right? He says this. Let me, I'm just going to rip through these. It's not, it's not inspired scripture. It's just what Wilson writes in his book. He says, number one, if you're a Christian and the gospel doesn't interest you, or if it interests you but not near as much as other religious topics, you're probably in need of a gospel awakening. If you take everything personally that happens, it's all about you, gospel awakening. If you worry a lot about what others think, need a gospel awakening. If you're impatient with people and treat inconveniences in your life as major tragedies, need a gospel awakening. If you have trouble seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, if you have great difficulty forgiving others, a reawakening to the gospel is in order. If you think someone besides yourself is the worst sinner you know, he says, you need a gospel awakening. And he says this, if if the whole idea of gospel centrality is foreign to you, if it makes no sense to you, then you've not seen the gospel. You've not seen the gospel. I'm convinced that for First Baptist Church Valley Springs, 2021 needs to be the year of of the gospel. It needs to be an extended time, 12 months, 52 weeks. Well, we've already lost one or two, haven't we? Where we are about the gospel. And I've entitled the message today, Gospel Refresh. It's, uh, I gave Sheila the wrong title in the bulletin, so ignore that. It's Gospel Refresh. When we're refreshed, we receive new joy, new strength, new life, invigoration, new energy for the tasks that lay ahead of us. That is what it is to be refreshed. But when I came up with the title Gospel Refresh, I really had in mind primarily what you do on your screens. When you pull it down and and you want it to update or refresh, right? Or at the top of your internet browser, there's that little button you hit refresh. That's what I had in mind primarily. When you do that, your device reconnects to the server. It's to say, you know, what I've got on my screen is a, is, a, is a past thing. Maybe things have been updated. I need to see it afresh and anew. And so you refresh your screen and it updates what you see. This is my idea. A gospel refresh is a process where we seek new joy, new strength, new life, new focus, new energy as a gift of grace from God as we reconnect our hearts and our minds and our souls with God, as we ask Him, we're reconnecting to the server, the Creator, saying, reawaken us to the gospel today. Make it fresh and make it new. Make it not a thing that is just in the past. I would ask you this question. Is the gospel even a blip on your radar most days? It needs to be, if you're a Christian, And so, in today's sermon, I only have one thing that I want to accomplish, and it's for us, as the members of Christ's body here at First Baptist Church Valley Springs, to just go and try to rediscover the primacy of the gospel in the Bible. To rediscover, I want to show you from the Bible that the gospel is the main thing. That's what I want to do today. That's the goal. All right? So... Today's jumping off point was Luke 4, 18 through 21. Now let me reread that. I want you to hear a portion of it. This is what Jesus preached at his hometown synagogue on the Sabbath. I say he preached it. They handed him, the the, the priest would have handed him a scroll of Isaiah, providentially already picked. But it says that Jesus went and found the place in the scrolls of Isaiah the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and he read this. It's from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and the first half of verse 2. That's how we would reference it today. Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The first thing I want you to see today, the gospel is how Jesus spoke of his primary message in ministry. The book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke is most likely we don't scholars don't believe it's arranged chronologically. It's ordered with theological purposes in mind. In other words, so you can reference other gospels and maybe things are in a different order. Luke wasn't trying to lay out a strict chronology. But what you do see in Luke is, here is really the first sermon. Luke wants us to understand this, that when Jesus came doing miracles and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God and preaching, he identified his message and his work with something called the gospel. That's what I want you to see first of all. In fact, we have four biographies in the New Testament. In your Bible, when the New Testament opens up, you have, we call them shorthand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Actually, if you look in your Bible, it says the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and the gospel according to John. So those very four books say this is the gospel. So here's this word, the gospel. And he's in his hometown, and he preaches a gospel message. The word gospel comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, Godspell. People would say, Godspell. And that meant glad tidings to you, or good news. It was a positive message. It was a happy message. It was well-wishing to someone else. That's where the word God spell, or gospel. But it just means glad tidings, good news. Matthew 4.23 says this. So we shift over to Matthew. Maybe we've got that on the screen. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. So Jesus was preaching the gospel, and he associates it with the kingdom of God, the ushering in. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's near. It's being opened up to you. So the gospel message is associated with Jesus preaching about a kingdom the kingdom of God. And he was doing all of these miraculous signs. It's amazing that the prophecy of Isaiah, we're going to look at that in just a second, but Jesus wasn't just proclaiming the prophecy of Isaiah, he was fulfilling it, he was doing it. He was literally, miraculously giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, making the lame to walk again, setting free those who were oppressed by evil spirits and all manner of the dark kingdom, Jesus was doing those things. And so the gospel wasn't just what he said, but it was what he was doing. That the kingdom of God has arrived in power. Also in Mark's gospel, opens up Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says, the time, this is Jesus preaching, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Now repent and believe the gospel. And so the gospel is this announcement, hey! kingdom of God has arrived on earth in the person of Jesus and it calls for a personal response when he says repent and believe. You've got to do something with it. It's calling for a personal response. And so I say all of that to say this, folks. The gospel is what Jesus was proclaiming with his words and with his actions. And he was inviting individuals to enter into the kingdom of God through a process of repent and believe. Repent and believe, really that's two sides of the same coin. It's something that goes on here, repent and believe, this wonderful news that the kingdom of God has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, so the gospel is what Jesus spoke, it's what he preached, it's what he did. Now the gospel that Jesus identified with, this is the second point, was an Old Testament promise. I've already alluded to this. The gospel was not something brand new that Jesus showed up on the scene and said, hey, I got something new for you guys. No, no, no. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed was an Old Testament prophecy. Again, they hand him the scrolls of Isaiah. Arguably, in the Jewish people's mind, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, beautiful writings, the book of Isaiah, and Jesus goes and he finds Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and he reads those, and that's the passage that we've read several times. But actually, if you go back to Isaiah, this long book, chapters 40 through 66, this big chunk of Isaiah is about good news. In fact, most Bible scholars say this about Isaiah 40 to 66. They say it is the primary Old Testament background and understanding of what the good news is that would come. And what it says is there's a coming day. Isaiah said good news. Well, first, bad news. We're suffering. But good news, God is going to send a deliverer. There is coming good news. It's not come yet, Isaiah says, but it's coming out in the future. And so it's this Old Testament promise that deliverance was coming. Who's it addressed to? He says, to the poor, to the afflicted, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted, to the captives, and to the prisoners. Why these people? Wasn't it for everybody? Yes, it was for everybody. But specifically, I think it lists out people who know that they need good news. When you're poor, afflicted, lame, broken-hearted, oppressed by darkness, you understand the state of the world that is broken. And most likely, there is a personal feeling of brokenness and a longing for that to be made whole and to be healed. I think that's why the gospel is associated with those things. In fact, some people talk about Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and all of that, and Jesus' response, we've talked about this many times, is, hey, it's not the well who need a physician, it's the sick. In reality, we're all sick. But many people do not understand the depths of the need that we have for a Savior and for a deliverer. But... There is an assumption that, in general, this group of folks that are experiencing the ravages of sin in their lives will understand that the world is broken. Hey, folks, look around. For anybody that's under the illusion, I would call it a delusion, that by government and by the power and wisdom and conniving of men that we're going to save this world. All you need to do is look in our country in Washington, D.C. this week. Man, the world is broken. The world is broken, and it needs a Savior. Isaiah 40 through 66, Jesus picks chapter 61, but one of my favorite scriptures, I'm not going to quote it, but I'm going to pull some quotes from it. It's is Isaiah 53. This is good news that's to come. This is the deliverer. Why we need a deliverer and what he's going to do. I want you to just listen. This is not up on the screen because I just kind of put a group together of verses from Isaiah 53. Here's the coming good news, Savior. Surely our griefs, He Himself has borne And our sorrows He carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That's our sins. The chastening or chastening for our healings fell upon Him. By His scourgings we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Him. He Himself bore the sins of many, and interceded for the transgressors. The coming Deliverer would carry in His own body, would take in His own flesh the griefs and the sorrow and the punishment for our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions. And Isaiah says, we're all like sheep that have gone astray. In other words, we all have those things that have contributed to the utter darkness and brokenness that is all around us. And it makes us need a Savior. So I love to look back at Isaiah at these prophecies of the Savior that would come. There is probably not an Old Testament passage that is more clear about the life of the coming Messiah than Isaiah 53. If you don't... I watched an interview of a Christian apologist interviewing people on the street reading Isaiah 53 and said, who is that talking about? And non-Christians, people that didn't know the Bible said it's talking about Jesus. It is clearly pointing to Jesus and Jesus clearly fulfilled Isaiah 53. And on and on it goes. Nearly a hundred times in the Old Testament, the word that's translated gospel is used. And probably, this is my guess, a thousand times, there is a shadow. There is a pointing forward to a good news deliverance by God for his people. In the New Testament, you could look at Galatians 3, 8, and 9. We'll put that on the screen maybe. Galatians 3, 8, 9, talking about this idea that the Old Testament was full of the gospel. Here's what Paul writes. The scriptures, that's Old Testament, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. The gospel goes all the way back to Abraham, arguably even back to Genesis 3. The gospel was there. And Abraham believed looking forward. We're asked to believe In the gospel of Jesus, that is the fulfillment of all of human history. And the Old Testament pointed forward to a coming Savior. And it called it good news. It called Him good news. Let's move on now. Point three, trying to establish the primacy of the gospel as the central theme and message and ministry of the Bible. I want you to see that the gospel promises are fulfilled uniquely in Jesus, the Messiah. Back in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, after Jesus opens that scroll and finds the place in Isaiah that we read, says he rolls it up, he hands it back, and he sits down. I mean, this is drama right here. And the people are looking at him, and their mouths are gaped open, and their eyeballs are huge, and they're looking at him. And Jesus says, Today, I say to you, this is fulfilled. This prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing and in your sight. In other words, the Messiah that Isaiah and all of the Bible pointed forward to, I'm Him. That's what He says. The Jews in that synagogue would have understood fully and clearly the Messianic expectations of Isaiah 61. There was no doubt. They knew that fully. And that's why this is shocking. And, and, and they kind of like what they're hearing. It's exciting. Man, they go, this guy's a great preacher. But, man, those are gracious words. Good news to the poor and the afflicted and the brokenhearted. Man, that sounds like great stuff. And they're, and they're talking and they're like, but... Isn't that uh, Jesus that lives over there on C Street... It, it, isn't that the, the poor carpenter's son? It, isn't that who this dude is? And doesn't the Bible say that the Messiah will come from heaven? He'll be a, a heavenly deliverer? And Jesus says, that that's what I am. He is making a radical claim that, listen, I and the Savior come down from heaven. But they can't get past the physicality of it all. They can't get past the fact that they knew him growing up and that they know his parents and they don't believe. They don't believe. <clears throat> but Jesus says the fulfillment is right here, right now. It has come. The kingdom of God has been ushered in. And you know what the folks did? They said, nah, I don't think so. Look at uh, Luke 4. We're not going to put this one on the screen. I want you to see this coming to a head. Uh, Actually, verse 23. And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill in which their city had been built in order to throw him down off the cliff. Passing through their midst, he went on his way. Did you catch that? He says, I'm asking you to believe that I am the Messiah. He knows they are not believing. And he says, and so in essence, all the things you've been hearing that I'm doing, because you don't have faith, because you reject my claims, I'm not going to do them here. And he starts looking back in the Old Testament at times when the Old Testament prophets did stuff for people outside of Israel. They did them for the Gentiles. And this ticks the people off. So much. I don't... I've had some bomber sermons in my day. I once had a guy, I was preaching a sermon about the gospel, and I had a guy get up in the back and stand up and go, Arr! and walk out. I've never had a congregation push me to the edge of a cliff and try to kill me. That's what happens here. Do, do you see this? How crazy this is, how radical the claim is, and they reject And Jesus says, rejecting the gospel, oh my gosh, you have missed the thing. Let me say this before I move on to the last thing. The gospel is not this amorphous, squishy bowl of jello or jelly or play-doh that you can make it into anything you want. That Jesus is somehow this cool dude and, and the gospel is that the church is nice people and the gospel is that all people are going to heaven and going to see the blessings of God. It ain't that. The gospel is a very clear set of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by a specific person named jesus christ who had very specific claims that he is the son of god come down born of a virgin god incarnate lived a perfect life a very specific set and i'll just say this pretty radical claims that's why the people couldn't get over it couldn't get past their physicality they couldn't see that god could do this miracle namely coming in the flesh it is a specific set of claims and then the gospel says to folks and this is what we're asking you to believe and that's what Jesus does to these folks. He says, because you don't believe it, you missed it. And they want to kill him for it. Mm. So the gospel is not that all good people and puppy dogs go to heaven. It's a set of clear, spiritual, historical faith claims that are presented to people and said, this is what God asks you to believe in order to have the good news applied to you. The last thing I want you to see from the Bible that the gospel is the ministry of the church. The gospel moves beyond just Jesus and his synagogue. It moves beyond Isaiah, goes to Jesus, and then it goes out. And it's to go to everybody. And it's to be the church, even the church in Valley Springs, Arkansas. In 2021, it is our ministry. It is the main thing. A couple of verses I'll show you and read to you, Luke 16:16. 16, 16. It says, "The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, and since that time the gospel of the kingdom has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it." Here's the thing. Jesus, when he comes and preaches the gospel, he says, "The time of the law and the prophets is fulfilled." Now we're preaching that it is at hand. Go out and preach. Don't preach for people to to follow the, you know, 500 Old Testament laws. Preach that salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's here. It's it's not coming way out in the future. It's here in Jesus. All right? And it, it was to be preached everywhere. And look at this. I want you to see this. You know what? Even though Nazareth rejected him, It says people were pushing their way to enter into the kingdom of God. The gospel claims of life eternal are are good news. And the people that have eyes to see, and they were pushing. Whitney and I went to Sam's yesterday in northwest Arkansas. Big mistake on a Saturday, not long after Christmas. Christmas. And I'll tell you what people were doing. They were pushing and shoving and forcing their way into the aisles where the good deals were and to be the first to get the fresh-squeezed orange juice and to get to the checkout line. And I'll say, ah, this is awful. Here's people pushing and shoving, forcing their way to get into the kingdom of God because it offers something way better than Sam's. There weren't any good deals there, by the way. But the gospel is a good deal. And when we have the eyes to see and then we're in our right minds and we're, we're spiritually attuned to what it's offering, we'll push and shove our way into it. Matthew twenty four fourteen. Jesus nears the end of his earthly ministry and he speaks about a future to his disciples where there will be actually Christian persecution. And he says, there's coming a time when there's going to be great lawlessness spread across the earth. And during that time, the love of most will grow cold. And it's in that time that you've got to preach on, keep on preaching the gospel. Listen to this. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in that time in the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. No matter what happens in the world, no matter what's going on in politics, no matter what's going on and how hateful people are, and I'm going to say people are hateful right now and mad and angry. And, and it seems to me that love is growing cold. It's, I mean, there's a lot of days when you go, it's just best if I just keep my mouth shut and stay at the house and stay away from people. Amen? And Jesus says, into that Malu, you're supposed to go and preach the gospel. And guess what? Some people are going to kill you for it. They're going to say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And he says, you've got to keep on preaching that. The gospel, no matter what happens in the world, it remains our message and our ministry, and our mission. I was thinking about today how people view pastors. And, and you know, back in the day when my grandpa was a preacher, and, and uh, it wasn't that long ago, people would talk about pastors as preachers of the gospel, call them gospel preachers. Now we talk about pastors as leaders of the church, as supposed to be visionaries in the church. we got a bunch of churches around the world, that think they're, they're celebrities, a bunch of pastors that think they're celebrities. They're superstars. They're internet sensations. They're rock star preachers. Maybe rock star preachers, but a lot of them aren't gospel preachers. And it just made me think about, I'm supposed to be not a CEO, but a preacher of the gospel. But guess what? So are you. Because the gospel... It's the message and the ministry and the mission of the church. Jesus says, keep on preaching the gospel of the kingdom, no matter what comes, until until when, Jesus? Until the whole world hears it, and until the end comes. I don't know about you, but I understand that to mean there's no expiration date on the gospel. It doesn't get outmoded, outdated. It's still good today, even though things have changed quite a bit since Jesus' time. Mark eight thirty-five. Listen to this. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find it. Hang on a second. Do you, do you see that up on the screen? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find his life. Let's just feel the weight of that for just a second. Jesus is saying, I, that's Jesus, and my message of the gospel are worth centering your entire life around, so much so that you're willing to lose your life for the gospel. But in losing your life, actually, you find it. You actually find real life. When the gospel becomes your center and your treasure. So my question is, do we understand and value the gospel that much? So much so that we give ourselves to it? I don't know. No. We need a gospel awakening. But this is the Bible. This is what Jesus says. And my last passage we're going to put up on the screen is Romans 1, 1 through 5. The great theological tome about salvation, Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, who once was a persecutor of Christians, who became a chief propagator of Christianity in the Roman Empire. When he was converted, Paul had been trying to shut people up with the gospel, and when he met Jesus and was supernaturally converted, the entire purpose, purpose of his life changed. And he gave himself entirely. He was called to do this, by the way, as an apostle. He was called to do this specifically. But what I want to show you is the opening of Romans, which is about salvation. And I want you to see what Jesus called us to. I want you to see a man whose life was given for this one thing, the good news of the kingdom of God. The offer of salvation to those who need it. Paul writes, Romans 1, 1-5. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, look at this, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It was there in the Old Testament concerning his son, Jesus, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, So yes, Jesus had human ancestors. The Bible doesn't deny that. He had human flesh. And he was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul says, man... I am about the gospel. The gospel, which was in the Old Testament. The gospel which the Son of God, Jesus, who came as a descendant of David, because he would come in the king's line as the Messiah, he came that way. And listen, this Jesus, who was declared in power to be exactly what he said he was, the Messiah. How was he declared that way? Paul says, by his resurrection. Dead people don't get up out of their graves. Amen, Missy? <coughs> and Jesus did exactly that. And he was declared, in fact, to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's why Paul can say in, in Corinthians, "The gospel." let me remind you of the gospel I preached to you, that, that Jesus... Died. He died on the cross, according to the scriptures. It was in the Old Testament. He was buried. He was actually dead, according to the scriptures. Numbered with the sinners and transgressors. He was crucified between two thieves. He was with a rich man in his death. He was buried in a borrowed tomb that belonged to a rich man. So he was buried according to the scriptures, and he rose again on the third day, just like the Bible said he would. And Paul says this resurrection of Jesus is a grace. It's a grace. And Paul says, we're called to take that message to everybody and say this to people. Jesus has come, the Savior of the world, and now you must respond in faith and believe the gospel if you would be saved. If you would receive the good that God has for you, the deliverance from all of your sins and from life's trials eternally, then believe Jesus Ultimately, the full salvation that we receive through the gospel comes about when Jesus comes again, and he brings his kingdom and power. You know what's interesting, and I'm going to close with this. Jesus cherry-picked his sermon passage. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to take the whole verse. You're supposed to read, you know, give it in context. And Jesus cherry-picked Isaiah 61. He read verse 1 and then part of verse 2, and he left a part off. What's that part that Jesus left off when he preached it? He says, And I'm proclaiming to you the favorable year of the Lord. And the very next words in Isaiah 61 are these. Where are these? And the day of vengeance of our God. That's what Isaiah says. He says, The favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance for our God. But Jesus didn't talk about the vengeance. You see, what Isaiah didn't see, often in the prophets you see this, crams two things together that really end up happening far apart. And Jesus says, I'm coming in my first coming to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, an opportunity for you to be saved before the coming day of the vengeance of the Lord. Part of the grand narrative of the Bible is that there is a cosmic war going on in heaven and on earth, and we are a part of it. There is a great rebellion that began back We don't know when, but we see it for sure in the book of Genesis. There was a rebellion in the heavenlies, and there was a rebellion on earth. And the rebels tried to set up their kingdom on this earth. And instead, God is bringing about His kingdom. So we're in this cosmic warfare. That's the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is that we are all on the enemy's side until our eyes are opened and we see the good news of the offer of a peace treaty with God who has formerly been our enemy, but who says, I'm coming with vengeance in the future, and I'm going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge sin and rebellion. And he says, if you don't want to be judged with wrath and vengeance, I'm offering you a time of peace and salvation. Quite simply, you can come over to my side. Lay down your arms and come and become a citizen of the kingdom of God. You can do so. By my grace and kindness, I came and I enacted justice that was due to your sins. I enacted it on Jesus on the cross, and I'm offering for you to come over to cross sides. Be on the right side. And I don't think that we often preach that part. We preach the good news of salvation without helping people see that the very next part of that verse is there is a coming day of wrath from a holy God. And the good news set in contrast to the darkness of the vengeance of God. You say, that is good news. That God is willing to bring me in not only, and He doesn't put me in prison, He doesn't keep me far off, He makes us sons. And daughters. And he brings us close. That's the gospel. The gospel has past prophecies, fulfilled in Jesus, and it speaks to us about the future that is to come. Folks, I just want to say this. I I don't really know what the invitation is today except... We need to refocus on the gospel as the center of our faith. That's our message. That's what we're about. That's it. That's what Jesus came for. That's what he died for. It's to offer salvation and deliverance to those who need it. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ. You've never laid down your arms. Your arms means your sin and rebellion, your self-will, you're going your own way, you're doing your thing. You don't really care what God has to say about how you live your life. He says, lay that down. Repent. Turn from that. That's a bad way. That's a way that leads to death. Turn aside. Come into the family. Receive what Jesus did for you and be saved. Believe it by faith. He's asking you to accept these claims. Believe it. Let it be your heart. Let it be your life. If you've never been saved, you can be saved today, right where you sit, trusting Christ. Hey, if you're a Christian and you've lost sight of the gospel and you've replaced it for something else, some religious message, maybe you've replaced it for do-gooding, maybe you've replaced it with the law, you've replaced it with politics, you've really just grown cold to it, the invitation is to see that none of that cures our greatest needs. That it's the gospel alone. It speaks to the deepest need of the soul. And I'm asking you to turn back and recenter and refocus on the good news of Jesus. Let that be what we're known for in this world. Let that be your life, your message, your all. Let's pray together. Father, help us not just to know some facts, about the gospel but that in knowing that it finds its way down to the deepest parts of our mind of our heart and that it produces in us the right affections the right loves the right feelings even reorder our hearts according to this wonderful good news let us not be those who sit back and and appreciate the gospel but don't respond to the claims. Lord, give us faith. Give us eyes to see. Help us to be a church in 2021 that is refreshed and renewed and reawakened to this amazing, amazing reality of the kingdom of God opened up to us Empower us to be a gospel church, a gospel people. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we appreciate you being here today. And uh, let me again reiterate, uh, we're meeting tonight at 5 o'clock. Men's Bible study upstairs, women's Bible study downstairs, which just happens to be on the gospel. All right, And... Uh, I hope you'll come back and be a part of that. On Wednesday nights, we started this last week uh, in the adult study in here, a study called The Unseen Realm. And it's looking at some pretty uh, interesting Old Testament passages and trying to get a better handle, even on some of what we've talked about today, which is this cosmic battle that's going on in heavenly places and here on Earth. So I'd invite you back be a part of that as well one last thing an exciting thing brandon and liz Cohn. since we're waving at everybody brandon and liz wave your hands there brandon and liz are going to be starting in february on wednesday night's an additional bible study that's uh the study's going to be aimed towards uh, folks interested in family topics and how the bible speaks to those things that'll probably be across the road we're not sure that's february 10th that's going to start so Husbands, husbands, wives, anybody that's interested in that, it's going to be on the book of Ruth. We're very excited about that, so we'll have that going as well, and I appreciate them. Um, I've already prayed for us multiple times, so let me say this. Grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us life and grace and love and peace. I love you. You're dismissed.